1: I'm Troy Singer, and here with my co-host, Bart Kaler, where each week we interview higher ed marketers that we admire for the betterment of the community. Today we get to talk to Philip Dearborn, who is the president of the Association of Biblical Higher Education. He comes to us with 25 plus years worth of knowledge. He comes to us with wonderful stories, and I can't wait for everyone to listen to the practical advice that he administers. Yeah,
2: Troy. He's uh, it's such a great episode. There were so many different topics that we talked about. Everything from you know recruiting mission fit students and what that means in a broader sense, as well as to just the idea of you know silos on campus and and ways to kind of work around those. One of the things that I really want to kind of encourage everybody. I mean, as if you're just starting to join us and you're like, okay, am I going to stick around for this episode because That's the way I am with podcasts sometimes. I want to really encourage you that, you know, even though you might not, your school might not be a a, a Bible college, you might not be a faith-based school and there might be different uh, feelings that you have about that. A lot of what we talk about is applicable to just about every school, whether you're a big school, small school, or, or in between. I really encourage you to kinda just listen and hear everything that, that we talk about because even though we talk about mission fit students, every school, and as you'll as you hear in the episode, every school has a mission and you need to find the right types of students to fulfill that mission of your institution.
1: He does an excellent job of conveying the successful practices in higher ed marketing and leadership, Yeah, really and does. without further ado, Here's Philip Dearborn we are speaking with Philip Dearborn here on the higher ed marketer podcast. Thank you so much for being a guest today with us Philip
0: oh it's a pleasure to be here Troy
1: because of your experience both on the the college level and then now your current position with an accreditation on an associate level, we would like to talk to you about successful leadership and also marketing within higher education. And before we get into it, if you could give us a little bit about your background and also what you currently do.
0: Sure, Uh, I spent, prior to joining uh, the Association for Biblical Higher Education, ABHE, before joining them as president, uh, I served uh, just over 25 years in biblical higher education. And in that time, pretty much hit almost every single department that you possibly could on a campus. I started recruiting students, moved from there uh, into the registrar's office, uh, then went from there to an associate vice president, then a vice president, then provost and even spent a little bit of time as an interim vice president of student affairs so i i've I've, uh, I've i've been around the campus and i kind of get a sense of everything that happens on a campus
1: thank you in previous conversations i know that one of the one of your passions is making sure Schools know that the height of their success is going to come from the pursuit of mission fit students. And would love to go into that conversation with you. And if you could just share some of your perspective and why you feel so passionately about that.
0: Sure, sure. And a lot of it, I think that that passion has has driven to where I am now uh, as president uh, of ABHE, uh, where I kind of get a little bit more of a global picture at biblical higher education. And uh, biblical higher education, we have 155 institutions across North America, 18 of those are in Canada. And uh, those institutions are enrolling about 63,000 students, which is really cool to see. I mean, that's 63,000 students who are laser focused on fulfilling God's call in their lives. And I think that's where mission fit. Uh, why I'm so passionate about that. because biblical higher education is laser focused, on biblical and theological education. I think it's important um, that throughout the entire institution, from beginning to end, uh, the entire student experience, that uh, institutions are recruiting truly mission-fit institutions who are looking to fulfill God's call on their life. And, And institutions, God identify those students who fit with that institution
2: I think that's a I think that's a great point Philip and I, I know that we've talked about this before and I've, I've spoken with a lot of my clients and full transparency I do work with abhE and several of their institutions but one of the things I want to kind of for you know I don't want to turn this into I don't want somebody tuning out right now because it's like okay well I'm not a Bible college so I don't this doesn't apply to me don't do that because really what we're talking about here is I believe that every college in the, in, in in the world can benefit from understanding what true mission fit means I mean, in, we're talking about the context here of biblical higher education, and uh, I've seen it play out uh, a little bit. But keep in mind that we're talking about if you're an art school, you have mission fit students because you're you're trying to find students who need an art edu- education. If you're an engineering school, same thing. So this applies broadly. So so don't tune us out because we're focused in on a specific, you know, element of that but i think it's it's really critical philip because i've worked with a lot of schools and and even larger faith-based schools that that maybe are more liberal arts in their approach as opposed to specifically biblical and theological training. I've seen that even when they are trying to focus on mission fit and, uh, you know, I've I've heard it before. It's like, you know, Hey, we're really, we're really trying to, you know, really increase the enrollment pool. Maybe we've leaned into athletics to do that a little bit. You know, we're, we're really trying to bring in as many student athletes to fill the rosters, but guess what? When they get there first week, they spend a day in chapel and they're like, Oh, you guys are kind of serious about this Jesus thing. What's that going on? Yeah. So so when you have that friction between, you know, mission fit students versus a student that's just going to fill a fill a roster or fill a spot in a seat on campus, that can really be detrimental to this institution.
0: Yeah, you said it very well, Bart. And, uh, you know, I I look at it as institutional alignment. Probably no other sector. Uh, perhaps the healthcare industry would would be up there, but but when you talk about mission within higher education, I, the accreditation market, everything. Your mission is is the promise that you make to the students. That's what you're going to fulfill if they engage with you and study at your institution. You know, pretty much on any college campus, you can ask a faculty member, you can ask a staff member, you can ask the president, what's the mission of the institution, and so. It starts there and it drives everything that the institution does. So if you have misalignment right from the beginning, I mean, look at student life cycle, even from you know, the prospecting side of it mm-hmm. uh, all the way through, you need institutional alignment to make sure that you're not compromising on that mission. You know, it, it's, a, it's 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 a an extreme case to say, you know, if you're an engineering school and your, your mission is laser focused on engineering and you make the decision, okay, well, we're going to enroll these uh, art students because we need to fill more seats, uh, there's going to be an inconsistency there. And, and those students aren't going to have a good experience on your campus. And in fact, what they do is actually take away from the experience of those who are mission fit students. But, but the reality is, especially in the market of higher education, there's a whole lot of pressure on enrollment officers and marketing departments to fill seats. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that pressure becomes so overwhelming uh, that you start to cheat and you start to compromise on that mission. And I don't think it happens all at once either. Right. I think it's this iterative approach um, that well, if we just if we just recruit these students, and and well, if we just do this, if we just do this, if we just do this, and before you know it, over time, what you've done, you've watered down your mission, and you've moved away from really what your main target ought to be.
2: Yeah, I think that's so critical. And, and I know that in our pre conversation, a little bit, we talked about just the whole idea of, you know, when we start to kind of, there's two things, I I think, one is, we've really got to understand from a institutional standpoint, and many times marketers are the ones that can kind of help, help drive this is what, who are we really, what are we all about? What is that mission? Because, I mean, we can kind of all know it when we see it, but how do we articulate it? And then how do we just kind of continue to, you know, that drumbeat, not only externally for the prospective students that we have, but also internally for, for our internal audiences? I think that's one thing. But I think the second thing also is the idea of really making sure that that alignment that we have internally, that we really kind of play in our own lanes so that we can make sure that those those items that we're doing are are working for the betterment of the entire institution and how we represent the brand. What, what do you think about that, Philip?
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a fascinating uh, conversation uh, when, when you look at when you look at mission when you look at efforts that colleges make to enroll new students. And and I want to be clear that you know uh, athletics is a front porch worship arts or uh, theater arts or production arts are another front porch. Front porch is what, what the public sees. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times institutions use their front porch to recruit students in. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think I think you can have a very strong athletic recruitment uh, effort uh, at a Bible college or even at an engineering school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, so there are definitely front porch uh, elements that you want to attract students in, you just have to make sure that they are mission fit from the start, that by having that, then suddenly doesn't say, okay, well, we're going to have this, we're going to grow our Bible college enrollment through an athletics program. Well, you're, you're only going to be a division three, m- maybe division two, you'll never be a division one. So be realistic about those efforts. Uh, and, and that's where I think a lot of times um, in, in my experience, what I've seen, and, and even in my experience at a college setting, there was kind of this dissatisfaction of where we are. And we've got to be something more and and always looking over the fence and seeing that the grass is greener. Or, or, well, we need we need to chase after that uh, or there's that shiny object. We, we need to be that without without being. Satisfied with okay, th- this is our lane. This is this is who we are today. This is what our mission defines us as. We're not going to play outside of that. And again, don't get me wrong. Y- you ought to be pursuing something. You ought to be targeting something. You ought to be moving in a direction. But don't overreach in that process. Right. Uh, I think there's a saying. I'm not going to say it real well, uh, but there's a saying of of uh, uh, don't forget who who brung you to the dance, right? Right. Uh, and and I think there's this idea on college campuses that we forget who brought us to the dance. Mm -hmm. uh, And we try to live outside of that. And then that process, we actually do more damage to the institution and potentially take it in a direction that you don't necessarily want to go.
1: That's great. You also have mentioned in our pre-conversation your belief in the necessity for departments to work well with one another across campus and would like for you to go a little deeper with your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, higher education is, is very unique. Uh, you don't have to be in too many of our circles and and you recognize the term of, of silos. And uh, <laughs> our, our campuses tend to be siloed, meaning that this department does this and this department does that. And I, some of it, I think, is a function of size. As institutions grow, their positions become more specialized. And because of that, they're hiring people who just know marketing or just know recruitment or just know academics. And that's all good. Growth is good. But the flip side of that is you're, you're, you're hiring people who are very specialized in their field. And you know, the, I think that contributes to the silo uh, effect. And boy, we, we got to break down silos, on our college campuses, we, and I get it. You, you want to, especially when, you, when it comes to faculty and departments who have been trained, they, they, they're they passionate about their area of expertise. And, and they think that they have the best academic program that there ever was. And uh, they've been trained to think that way. And unfortunately, what that does, it creates the silo. And I think we have to constantly be working at tearing down those silos so that we gain an appreciation for what other departments do on the campus. You know, it's, it's, it's a it's a catch-22 situation. You know, professors aren't going to have students to teach if the recruitment office and the marketing teams aren't working together to recruit the students. They'll, they'll teach empty classrooms. There, there's There's nobody to teach. At the same time, I think the recruitment marketing teams need to realize that once students are identified to come into the campus, that that's what they experience, that that's who's delivering on the promise are the faculty members. And there has to be that appreciation for what those faculty members are doing in the context of the classroom. Well, you can't do that in a siloed effect. We were, in my uh, higher ed experience, boy, uh, we were constantly addressing silos, And as soon as we identified them, we tried to do everything that we could to tear down those silos. Uh, Because when you do that, you've got the blinders on and and all you see is your reality. Uh, You're not seeing beyond it. And it takes takes a a campus to recruit a student. It takes a campus to uh, retain that student. It takes a campus to graduate that student. And if there's that shared sense of we're all in this together, we can't function without the other, a true appreciation for that. I think it, it it goes a long way towards towards success on the campus.
2: Yeah, I think you're right on that, Philip. I've seen some examples both ways on campuses. I, you know, where where maybe there's a a, you know, a really good program that is in high demand, but maybe the way it's being marketed. An example I saw recently: a criminal justice program. You know, it's one of the most popular programs there are out there for, for some students, but on the website, it was not, you know, it wasn't a major, it was embedded in the social work page. Well, you know, those students don't know that that's the way it needs to go. And so the marketing on that was a little bit off. And so those silo effect was, you know, we put it in the wrong place because, you know, this is the way we're structured internally. And then on the flip side, I I sometimes see, you know, well-meaning faculty who come and, and present, you know, a series of programs, but the market just isn't there for that particular program. And so all of a sudden, you know, uh, silos especially is a, is a way that people end up pointing fingers and we don't want that. Mm -hmm. And I I really agree with what you're saying there with the idea of, you know, breaking down those silos.
0: Yeah. And, and I I think uh, one easy way to know if, if you've had the silo effect is to look at your website. I think that's a great indicator. And, and I fell into this trap for many years uh, and it was really only towards the end of my uh, career that I really kind of kind of flipped and did a 180. The tendency is to want to design the website so that academicians can understand it. It's structured by departments. Well, why is that criminal justice program in the social Work department? Well, it makes sense because it's a subset and you know it, it, and you can make a very strong academic rationale as to why it's there. Well, the user is a 16, 17, 18 year old girl or guy who's looking at it and they don't know, you know, the disciplines of social work and where criminal justice is. Uh, They're not going to intuitively know that. I mean, think about all of our web experiences. If we can't get what we want within one or two or three clicks, we've gone on to the next thing. That's exactly right. And the market's doing that too. So, one way that you can see is a college siloed, have they structured it in such a way that all of the active additions can say, yeah, you know what? It's, it's beautiful. It's structured exactly how it has to be. And the market's saying, this makes no sense to us whatsoever. Yeah.
2: Well, let's talk about for a second, if just, if we do have all that alignment, silos are removed, we've all been working on that directly. And, and we've got a, you know, we've got the, the, the page in the right place on the website now we're starting to talk about the return on the investment by the program. Yeah. What's important about that? And, and how, what's, what are some of your experiences on, on kind of that perspective?
0: Yeah. So I, I think it's a, it's a critical, it's a critical piece. One other thing I, I do, I'll get to that here in a second. The, the one thing that I think is important to know about the whole silo issue is I draw a distinction between tensions and problems. Hmm. You solve problems, you manage tensions. And too often we treat silos as if they're problems, Hmm. And we want them to go away. Well, if we can just fix it. Well, no, silos are, are tensions and we shouldn't run from them. They're actually they're actually good. We have to learn how to manage them. Because by nature, if you leave it alone, we will be siloed. But if you manage it, you appreciate the distinction that the silo brings but then also the value that it brings when it's viewed totally as a, as a whole. And I think one of the ways is when, you know, looking at something like a programmatic uh, ROI, return on investment, that is a non siloed approach. That is truly something that tears down those silos. And that's looking at academic programs and saying, having a good understanding of the investment that we make in this particular program, what's our return on that? And that's a tough exercise to go through uh, because you, 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 invoke passion, you know, the, the, the uh, worship arts department or the performing arts department is going to be very, very passionate about their programming. And if you suddenly show them the numbers, because, and I'll pick on performing arts because the ratios tend to be smaller, uh, where, you know, you have a lot of one-on-one instruction, you have a lot of ensembles, it's, it's, very, it's a very expensive program to run. And if you start to actually look at the return on investment on, on performing arts programs, isolated in itself, Most times you're losing money. It's a losing money proposition. Well, we know that money doesn't grow on trees, right? So, you know, where is the money coming from in order to support that? Well, if you have a thriving performing arts department, guess what? You're going to have another front porch. You're going to have plays and musicals and and events that you bring donors to. And donors are now contributing because they see the front porch of the institution and they want to be part of something like that. But we need to get a little bit more disciplined in fully understanding the return on investment. How much do we get as a result of this academic programs? And, you know, a lot of times in my experience, you get caught up in, well, how do we calculate that? Well, figure it out. You know, nothing's going to be perfect, right? You know how many students are in an academic program. Just start adding up some sense of expense. Well, how do you add up to have a regist- shared registrar and a, a financial aid office? And well, come up with a percentage. You know, whatever it is to try to get of what is the actual expense as close as you can, uh, in order for us to operate this program. And most of our institutions look—they're breaking even in a in a best case scenario every year. So you're not going to find programs that are. That are much higher in revenue over expense. But what it does, it helps you make informed decisions. So that if you're choosing to run an expensive program, engineering programs, very expensive to run, nursing programs, very expensive to run. But if you have a good sense of what that cost is and what your return on investment is, you can make informed decisions to say, okay, well, the nursing program may be expensive to run, and our margin is a lot tighter there. We are also running a business administration program where the margins aren't necessarily as tight, and it's a little bit cheaper to run a business administration program. So, so you have a sense of, okay, we're really going to enroll more students in this program to help support what we're right. doing because because nursing is a mission-fit program or a performing arts department is is a mission fit program. Well, we can't operate at a loss. We can't operate all of our programs at a loss, but we may choose to do that in this case, but we fund it by another means. Yeah. Well, you talk about breaking down silos now. Now there's an appreciation on the business administration side that, hey, we're helping fund a performing arts department. Uh, or we're uh, uh, a nursing program or an engineering program.
2: Yeah, I like that because I think sometimes, especially I think, um, well, I think everywhere, there's this, this idea of egalitarianism where it's like everybody's got to be equal, you know, especially, and, and I've had these arguments over the course of my career, especially as it relates to the website. Well, why is, why is the MBA program featured on the website and my history program's not? That doesn't seem right. And well, <laughs> it yeah. goes back to what we're talking about here it's like okay there's there's a little bit of jealousy there but at the same time if i'm going to enroll you know 75 uh, business administration students and i've only got 3 people in the history program that comes down to dollars and cents sometimes, and and you know, it it, it's it's sometimes hard to make those conversations. And again, it, it 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 I really liked what you said about managing that tension that that creates, rather than trying to make that problem go away by just making everything equal.
0: It won't go away because because in in, in academia, in scholarship, history is important. Mm-hmm. But no institution, unless you're a major state university, even there. You know they're they're expensive to run, and they need to appreciate the value of. We value history; it's important to have that program. In order for us to have that program, it means that there's an appreciation for and a reliance on these other programs. So it's 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 you gain that that level of appreciation, and you don't you don't get that overnight. It's something that you build through conversations and people just just knowing yeah. that we're, we're intentional in having this program. The only way we can have this program is because we have these other programs.
1: That's great. Statistics are saying that students who are graduating in the next couple of years and Generation Alpha that's going to come after them will have at least 10 different careers within their lifetime, and some of those careers have not been invented yet. So from your perspective, how are colleges and universities supposed to train for this? How are they supposed to offer that mission yeah
0: I think this is this is probably one of the most significant issues and I'll make a general statement the higher education is not quite prepared for and I think within my context of aBAG, uh, I think we are on the cutting edge of this realizing the fact that students are going that's not 10 different jobs that's 10 different occupations. so so really what it does what it, 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 it begs the question of what's the purpose of an undergraduate education. What are we preparing the students to do? For ABAG, that's very clear. We're about the Great Commission, we're about training students uh, with the soft skills in life, the relational skills in life, that regardless of occupational context, they have a sense of that they're sharing Christ with the people that they come in contact with. But I think the reality get, crosses over very very easily is y- you have to ask the hard question. Higher education has to look itself in the mirror and say, what are we preparing our students to do? Realizing that we can't even anticipate the career that they're gonna have 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Are there requisite life skills, foundational skills that we want to make sure that our graduates leave our institutions with so that they can be as successful in an environment where they will have 10 different occupations. So, so I think what, it, what it's doing is really begging the whole, and, and in, in some ways it's kind of coming back to what higher education was, and it was pretty much that sense of preparing you. So, so you look at an undergraduate education, the core of an undergraduate education is, is developing critical thinking skills. Unfortunately, higher education has kind of turned it more into content dump. You need to know this body of knowledge, and we need to pivot off of that, uh, and, and, and our classrooms, our professors have to pivot off. It's not so much this is what you need to know, because grab your phone, grab, information is readily available. The question is, what do you do with that information? Do you have the skills to critically think through that evaluation or, or, or that information? And in our case, value it for truth capital T, uh, to say, you know what, this information is is not valid because of X, Y, and Z. And I think there's a whole reframing of higher education that's coming where we're going to seriously question. The public is already asking it. You just have to pick up a newspaper and somebody's saying, you know, I got to take out two mortgages in order for my, for junior to go to college. They're graduating with six figures of debt. And so the valid question is being asked, what's what's the value? What am I getting as a result of this education? And I think that margin of of value to reality has just gotten pretty, pretty tight. Uh, And I think it's a great reframing opportunity to say, you know, you know what, there is tremendous value. We are giving you life skills. We are giving you relational skills, those soft skills to be able to go into context, to totally reframe who we are so that we can be successful in whatever that next occupation is. Look at COVID. COVID just totally blew up the job market, even to where we actually do our jobs and where we work. And how do we prepare students to go into that context and be successful and to be able to reinvent themselves um, so that they can be successful with whatever that next career that's coming their way?
2: Yeah, I love that. That's a really good point.
1: As we bring it to a close... Our question to our guest always is, if there is a a tip, a topic, something that you could offer that could be immediately implemented, what would that be?
0: Yeah, so uh, I appreciate the question, and I I appreciate the fact that you asked it in advance so I could actually think about it, and and so it's going to sound perhaps too simplistic, uh, but if you are you know, the head of a recruiting department or marketing department, or even, you know, if you're, if you're just simply recruiting students, how do you start to address the mountain of the silos within higher education? It all happens by relationship. I've yet to experience in my higher ed experience, the solution to the problem is a structure. The solution to the problem or the solution to managing tensions doesn't happen by putting a new structure in. It happens by relationship. So the, 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 the easy thing to do, if you're a marketer, if you're a recruitment officer, pick up the phone, send an email to the chief academic officer of the institution where you serve and say, hey, I want to take you to lunch. Start building a relationship. If you're a recruiter and you don't fully understand how the academics are structured and you sense that there are some of those silos within your institution, pick up the phone, send an email to the department head where you don't understand it. Build a relationship, have a conversation, help me understand how social work happens. And that's how it happens, one relationship at a time. And I think our technology, this is one of the downsides of our technology, is it's forced us to tyranny of the urgent. Whatever's coming next, I'm just going to address, I'm going to address, I'm going to address. I can, I can, I can just send a quick email response. I can, we've, we've abandoned relationship, and it takes time to build those relationships because then when it comes time to have some of those tough conversations, there's a relational context in which you can have that. I think we need to bring relationships back uh, in, into our working communities. So that's a simple thing. Just pick up the phone. Just just take them to lunch. You'll you'll shock the socks off of them the fact that you're <laughs> interested, right. Take them to coffee if you can't afford lunch. But build those relationships one relationship at a time.
1: Thank you, Philip. How can our listeners contact you if they would like to do so?
0: Absolutely. So email uh, is the best. And uh, my email is ABHE.org, And uh, you can certainly access uh, me through our website, uh, abhe.org. But I love having conversations around this. And if any of your listeners want to continue the conversation, uh, I'd be happy to, to engage with
1: them on that. Thank you, Philip. Bart, your closing thoughts. Yeah, I just wanted to point out a few
2: things that Philip said because this was such a rich uh, and informative interview and conversation. I really appreciated a lot of what we talked about with Mission Fit. And again, uh, you know, rewind a little bit if you want to kind of re-listen to that and and see how it applies to your particular school and your particular situation. But I think beyond that, one of the things I really appreciated was this idea of tension versus problem. The idea of managing the tensions and, and recognizing that, you know, We just can't get rid of problems. We've got to kind of look at those and and how that works with silos. And even just this last tip that Philip said about, you know, building those relationships. Um, It reminded me a lot of uh, a conversation we had a a few episodes ago with Eleanor Bierman from uh, Chief Marketing Officer at Indiana University. She talked about all the silos that are in these big state systems these silos are everywhere. I mean, we've been talking about small Bible colleges to, you know, big state systems like Indiana University. Silos exist in higher education. And I love the fact that Philip talked about one of the best ways to bring those silos down is is relationships. You know, Eleanor talked about clarity of vision. There's, there's ways of, of relationship and, and speaking that clarity of vision, which I think can happen over coffee, probably the best way to have that clarity of vision is over coffee, so that if you don't understand the vision of the you know, academic department, you're talking to them over coffee, and we're re- really getting to know each other and building that trust. So really appreciate your, uh, your time and, and your thoughts on this, Philip. Thank you so much for being a part of this.
0: Absolutely. My pleasure.
1: That concludes the Higher Ed Marketer podcast, which is sponsored by Kaler Solutions, an education marketing and branding agency, and by Think Patented, a marketing execution company specializing in mailings, printing, customization, and personalized outreach programs. On behalf of my co-host, Bart Kaler, I'm Troy Singer. Thank you for joining us.
0: You've been listening to the Higher Ed Marketer, To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to leave a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.